day. Well, Chirang, it's good to meet you. It's where, great to meet you. Where are you? I am in Miami right now. In Miami, okay. Yeah, it's... I have, uh, uh, have some friends in Orlando and uh, other parts of Florida in Tampa and whatnot, but uh, no one that I know of in Miami right now. <laughs> okay, so you called to get some instructions about um, how to, uh, to, to practice, I guess, would be the, the way to say it. And that you've said that you've practiced two things in the past. One was is that you were practicing deep breathing and controlled breathing, and then you've uh, seen on Reddit or on the internet someplace that you're not supposed to control the breath. Okay. Um, let me give you this very beginning first analogy of that. And that is, is that if you are watching your breath but not having any control over it, just mentally monitoring it, then that would be very much like watching someone else play a video game. Okay. Right. And if you are actually there controlling the breath and doing it, that's very much like you've got your hand on the mouse and you're actually doing something. Right. Who's right. going to pay more attention closely to the game, the guy who's playing it or the guy who's just watching the guy who's playing it. The guy who's playing it, right. Okay. In that regard, we can say that uh, with proper practice of meditation, you've got to have some skin in the game. Okay. Okay, but this is not passive. It's not a passive activity. It's an active activity. And yet it is being sold as something passive to do. Some will say uh, noting. Oh, you just note. You just note whatever's there. Some will say, oh, it's awareness. You be aware of all of your bad thoughts and they'll melt away. And uh, uh, some will use other language. But basically, uh, this is what has become Western Buddhism. Western Buddhism is a kind of practice that has no skin in the game but it has a whole lot of desire for outcome. In other words, people want get something out of meditation. That's why they're doing it. Where if they were practicing just relaxing, they'd get more benefit out of it than if they practice what they're calling meditation because uh, of passively wanting something that they don't have. And in fact, this is the first point to look at. And that is, is that uh, much of the problems of life that people experience as the problems of life are actually that they want something that they don't have. Right. That's, that's it. They've got a job, but they want a job that they don't have. They don't want the job that they do have. They... Uh, they live in the house that they live in, but they want another house. Right. They, they drive a particular car, but they want another car. And so on and on it goes. We keep wanting things. And eventually, all of these people who want all of these things stumble upon meditation and want that too. 
and they've heard the benefits of the meditation and they want that. And so they go from wanting and longing to wanting and longing to wanting and longing. And that the real practice of Anapanasati as taught by the Buddha is to get ourselves out of that state of wanting and longing. And that we can do that right away. An example of that is, is that if you want something and there it is and you take it, you're okay. For instance, if you want a drink of water, and the water bottle is right there at hand. You just grab the bottle and drink it within 10, 15 seconds. You're satisfied. But now let's suppose that you're thirsty, you want water, and the nearest water, drinkable water, is a thousand miles from here, and you're barefoot. And now what are you going to do? Okay, you see the distinction? Yep. Okay, that's where most meditators are. They want to drink of water, but that water seems so far away with no real way of getting there. And so this is what brings on the struggle, is because they're not practicing correctly from the very beginning. Right. All right. So, let's talk about what actual practice is, that in fact, what the Buddha taught was uh, what we refer to as Anapanasati, and that's the name of the sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta. That uh, uh, that's possibly a better word to use, because the word meditation <clears throat> refers to something different, and that that word has been, uh, let us say, stolen from the Christians and applied to Buddhism because the guys were trying to come up with a word and they didn't know what to use. And so they started calling it meditation. And that's confused everybody. Because really what we're talking about here is uh, when we say anapanasati, that means basically breathing. And that the sati, uh, that word is uh, let us go ahead and say it's wrongly translated as into the word mindfulness. In fact, I never heard of the word mindfulness until I heard about uh, sati. That that's not an English language word. There's a lot of words that we use in English language that are, or it at least appear to be English language words, and we have a kind of an idea of what they are. But really, these words were invented to describe Buddhism, when in fact the original word would have been better. Okay, yeah. so sati, basically what sati means is to wake up. Now you've heard the expression to wake up and smell the coffee before, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, that's basically then what we're really going to practice, because the smelling of the coffee is actually getting into our sensory awareness. We're actually smelling something now, as opposed to dreaming about smelling something. And so our sensual awareness and our sensual input is one way to spend mind moment. But another way of spending the mind moment is not being in reality in the senses and being here now, but it's being caught in thought, lost in thinking. And when we're thinking, we're normally always lost in the past or in the future. 
we're thinking about something that happened yesterday or last year or the year before. Sometimes when we're thinking about it, we like something. And because we like it, we miss it and we want it back again. And sometimes we think about the past and remember something really bad happens and so we feel bad again. Or sometimes we run across some business that needs to be, uh, or that we think about uh, that business that was left undone. And so now we have to make a future plan to do it. Okay, so this is the dangers of having thoughts that just roll on and on and on. It's because no one generally in our culture is taught from childhood that you can take control over the kind of thoughts that you have. And if you don't take control over the kind of thoughts you have, the same kind of thoughts that you've always been having will remain because of habit. So, just like the breathing and taking control of the breath, we can also say the same thing is true about the thoughts. That if we don't take control over the thoughts, then the old uh, system of thoughts will just be there. We're not really paying much attention to it. And this is not much of a meditation. Okay. So, again, we have to have some skin in the game. And so we're going to work with two items. One is the breath, and the other one is the thought. Now, to get things started correctly, we have to go back to the original teaching of the Buddha. The Buddha had, uh, let us say, a very short phrase for his entire teaching. And this is very, very well known. It's a three-word phrase, Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda. I've got a favorite phrase that I use in English, and that is the phrase, don't worry, be happy. Because worry is Dukkha, and be happy is Dukkha, Naroda. There's many ways that we can say this. This is the entire teaching of the Buddha, is to see the Dukkha right here, right now, in this present moment. And then come out of it right here, right now, in this present moment. The next present moment, maybe a tenth or a uh, uh, fifth of a second later. Things happen in the mind pretty fast. And yet most of the way that meditation is practiced is that all, you got to do it for an hour a day, day after day after day, and maybe someday you'll get some benefit. And so the only way that people are going to practice that is by really wanting something that they don't have. And they keep practicing meditation, wanting something and wanting it and wanting it and wanting it, and it never comes because they're not practicing correctly. But if in fact we seize the breath and we seize the mind, then we can do something with them very quickly. It's like a, uh, let us say, a naughty child is running around in the yard and mommy will stand on the porch and watch the child and maybe occasionally tell the child, you come here, you come here. But the child is going to keep out playing in the yard. But if mom goes out into the yard and grabs that kid by the arm, she can pull him into the house. Right? We've actually got to do that. We can't call the mind and hope that it will come out of its hindrances and out of its yuck and muck and problems into the, a wholesome place, back home again. We actually have to go grab the mind and bring it back and put it at home. 
Now, this is actually quite easy to do because the mind moments only last a short period of time. And so naturally, we're going to go from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next. So we might as well start being aware to start putting some wholesome thoughts in there. One thought to the next thought to the next thought. So that we can begin to control the mind. And then, in fact, uh, in this practice that the Buddha sets out of Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda, this immediately unpacks to the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths. And the first noble truth is Dukkha. It does exist. People experience it. It's not magical. It's not God-given. It's something that people do on their own. We feel bad on our own. We have fear, anxieties, and whatnot like that. But mostly you can see that fear is the basis of all of the uh, feelings. And that basis of fear is based upon self-preservation. It's an instinct that keeps us alive. If you had had no fear your whole life, you would already be dead by now. Your fear has kept you out of the road. Your fear has stopped you when somebody's yelling at you. Don't put your hand in the buzzsaw. Right? So, our fear has kept us alive, but much of the fear that we have is what you would call a false positive. We go around being afraid at times when there's nothing to fear. Right? So, we still wind up being fearful. We are very thankful for the fear that's kept us alive, but we're not so interested in the fear that keeps us fearful. Okay. So, we need to actually start working on that. And one of the things that we can do then in that regard is to tell ourselves there really is nothing to be afraid of. You can look around the room. There's nothing there in that room to be afraid of. There's no alligators on the floor. You don't have any giant pythons in the closet. There's no mafia dudes there at the door with their guns. You don't have riot police banging into your house. Things are very, in this particular moment, things are safe. Who knows about what the future's going to be, but right now, things are pretty well. And yet, most people sit at home and they still have fear even though they're fairly safe. They worked really hard to get a safe house to live in, and they still don't feel safe. Interesting, huh? So, we, uh, a part of this practice then has to be able to look at the reality, to begin to see what is dukkha and what is not dukkha, so that we don't have to go around acting as if things that are not dukkha are dukkha, or worse things, that are not dukkha, and we see them as dukkha. So this takes an investigation, and this investigation is an important point, so that we can understand what is the real cause of suffering. Now, this is something that the Buddha is really big on, is cause and effect, and I find that so is now modern um, uh, physics and science. Science and physics are all built upon the cause and effect relationship that this causes that. Without this, that doesn't happen. Another way of saying it is, is that every fire has a fuel. Fires are known by their fuel. You have a house fire, a car fire, uh, an electrical equipment fire, uh, a grass fire, a forest fire, whatever um, fire there is, that fire is known by its fuel. So, right. offhand, do you know of any fire that burns without any fuel? 
Do I know any fire that burns without fuel? Do you know any fires that burn without fuel? There's quite a lot of them that are famous. Uh, a candle, for example. No, the candle has the wax of um, that it burns. It burns. Uh, you notice right. that as the candle burns over time, the wax, the wax melts is... and is burned burned down. I'm not. Right? I'm not thinking. No. All right. Let me give you some examples of fires that burn without fuel. Ghost. You're frozen. Hello? Oh, you're coming back. Sorry, okay. I think I I think I lost you for a second. Yeah, the internet's good here. Um, so, I was about to say that that one fire that burns without a fuel, you still seem to be stuck. Sorry, I, I think I'm I think I'm losing you. Turn your camera on and off. Down at the bottom, there's a white, deal, uh, white, white, black, uh, the middle white one. Turn your camera on and off. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I think I'm. Your your uh, uh your screen is frozen. Oh, that's right. You're on a cell phone, so 